0: Hello, church. My name is Andrew, and we will now be reading today's passage in the scriptures from Mark chapter 5, verse 25 to 34. Please follow along in your own Bible or the screen behind me. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the reading of God's word.
1: Uh, Well, good morning, True North. My name is Eugene. I have the privilege of uh, giving today's word. I just want to thank Chuck again uh, for being able to share. It's been a journey long, uh, often not shared, but I'm I'm grateful he had the courage and even the spirit to do that. And it also ties so well with the the theme that we have been trekking on this small series uh, of dealing with our past. And oftentimes for a lot of us, as Chuck mentioned, there are stories that you have, uh, however big or small you may feel that they are, um, that are in need of sharing. But the problem is, and we talked about last week about how we can go about even beginning to deal with that. The problem is there is something inside all of us that stops us from even getting to our past. Uh, Not even processing, but even acknowledging our past. Uh, with the story that we just read, uh, you might be familiar with the bleeding woman. And if you read it closely, you realize there is not one but two diseases she is going through. Even at the end, when Jesus says, daughter, uh, which is an interesting way to, to, to name her. Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Notice this. She was already healed of her bleeding. Yet Jesus made sure to stop and also heal her of another disease. Um, something that we all go through. So much of our past is impossible to access and even acknowledge because of this disease, which we can call shame. Shame presides in every corner, in every nook of our past, and the problem is when shame attaches itself onto you, it allows your past not to be named, but to control who you are. Now, I'm gonna be honest. Uh, a majority of us here are Asian American, and this isn't just for any immigrant Asian American family, but as a pastor, uh, I've read a lot about how to deal with your past, um, how to fight it, how to be a good Christian with all that, and often I've noted uh, many of those authors are not immigrants. Uh, they're often Caucasian, and just realizing there is such a difference in how you even do that. My friend, who's another pastor, said often, uh, we're told just get naked, spirit, not physically, but spiritually and your past will be healed. And part of that's true, but the problem is, for many of us in immigrant families, it's so shameful to even view our past with a critical lens. Often we think, and even for myself, my parents and my grandparents, maybe even even a generation before, they sacrificed so much to come and to give me a new life, how can I even look back with a critical lens? And because of that, we're never able to heal. Shame leaves us in broken loops of pain and destruction. It's the greatest weapon that Satan has used from the beginning to destroy us as human beings. We are only sick as the secrets that we keep, and shame is committed to keeping us sick. The problem then, and the the, the ordeal in front of us, is if we're to deal with our past, how do we deal with our shame? And we're going to see in this story how Jesus deals with with this bleeding woman And before we get into that, the question then should be, what is shame itself? How can we describe it? What does it do to you? i would ask you this with the story that we just read. What is the greatest burden of the bleeding woman? To give context, right? Uh, To give full context, Jesus is trying to heal a daughter, a young girl that is about to die. And on the way to this girl, this woman stops and touches him. And you have to realize, when when the author says she's been bleeding for 12 years, she's been on a cycle that has not ended for 12 years, right? If If you're a female, you understand the biological, personal pain. But there's so much more embodied and wrapped up with that. In the Jewish times, for a woman to be acceptable in the public or with people, she had to be off of her cycle. What this is implying is, for 12 years of her adult life, she has been isolated, alone, and by herself. It's more than the physical ailment. What the author's trying to get at, there is the shame that wraps around her soul. If this is true, she is not married. If this is true, she is not in the public. She has no friends. And and, and the the author says she tries to get better on her own. She pays physicians, almost bankrupting her, but it only makes it worse. For so many of us, we need to realize this. At some point for the bleeding woman, It was no longer a physical reality of what was going on, but a spiritual reality. That because of her physical ailment, because of her past, it's a past problem that she has. It's crept up not to what's happening to her body, but to her soul. It's isolating her. It keeps her on her own. It hides her. And this is the same, shame has not changed over thousands of years in human civilization. It has started wars. Every, every, in every time period, in every civilization, there are, there are marriages broken, there are adulterous affairs, there are friendships backstabbed, all because of shame. Shame declares to you in some form, and it's not just a logical thing, it's a sensation, it's a feeling, I am not enough, you are not enough, there is something wrong, terribly wrong with you that you do not matter, that no one will accept you, that if this part of you, and this is the thing, when I tell you what are you ashamed of sharing, there is always something you are ashamed of sharing. And you have to realize it's not just a logical feeling, there are sensations, images, emotions that you feel that constrict you. You can't think your way out of shame because what shame does is it rewrites your past and your story. It looks at your past. And outside of the objective facts, it tells you because that happened, either something that has happened to you or something that you did, you were not worthy to be accepted. Right? Have, you, have you guys watched uh, Stranger Things? Pastoral uh, word of spoilers. If it's been a month, I'm going to spoil it, okay? And I checked. It's been exactly a month, right? Stranger Things season four It's amazing. It's like one of the greatest, greatest piece of television ever made. Um, and and there's, there's a scene, uh, if you guys know Kate Bush, there's, there's a song that's like everywhere, and it's stuck in my head. There's a scene from that that embodies shame so well. Right? There's this monster named Vecna, and what you realize with Vecna is he doesn't attack you physically, he attacks you in a much more vulnerable place, in your mind. And there's a scene where Max, one of the main characters, is entrapped, not in a physical world, but in this spiritual mind of Vecna. And what Vecna does is it replays her past with his version of the story. Oh, your brother died because of your, your fault. Or oh, your friends don't accept you because you are guilty. And it keeps replaying these images over and over and over again in her mind to constrict her, to make her isolated, and her, his grip gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And there's a couple lines where he says, where I'm like, dude, this is straight up Satan. This is a Biblical story, this is just Satan. vector of Satan where he says, you are the one hiding from your friends because you know you are not worthy enough to be their friend. This is what shame does. And this is the thing, it's not just reserved for traumatic moments of pain or abuse or even spectacular guilt of some sort of sin that you've committed. It lurks in every corner of your past. Shame is that feeling. It's not just reserved for crazy moments of your past. It's that feeling when you go to work and there's a group meeting and you cannot share because you're so worried what you will think, what they will think of you as a failure if you share your ideas. Shame is that feeling when your dad or mom, when you did something wrong, crossed their hands and instead of accepting you and showing you grace, sighed and saying, man, you, at this moment, are not enough to be my son or daughter. Shame surrounds all of us. And this is the thing, what does it do to us? Shame, always, the most destructive element of shame is it drives you into hiding and isolation. Look at the woman as she tries to meet Jesus. She tries to get healed on her own terms, in isolation and by herself. She sneaks out in the public, probably wearing layers and layers and layers of clothing, probably in a hot summer day with crowds all around her because she is terrified to make sure that anyone knows who she is. So she's covered, sweating, sweating probably crawling on the ground to get to Jesus in isolation. This is such a good picture of what shame does to us. Shame drives you to hide from everyone and even yourself. It disintegrates your mind. And this is the thing, when when we do this, shame is so funny because what shame does is it tells you, if this is found out, you will be abandoned, so therefore I will abandon myself. I will make sure that no one gets close to put it better there's a book called the soul of shame in which most of this sermon is from and i would recommend every single person even if you don't believe in jesus to read this book uh, kurt thompson who's a therapist writes this shame leads us to cloak ourselves with invisibility to prevent further intensification of the emotion the expense of this labor is often buried as his in cost as we collect multiple secrets and keep them neatly stacked in our closets until they can no longer contain them. When you hide in isolation, as shame always makes you do, it inhibits any sense of true repentance or healing. Just as Adam and Eve, if you remember from the fall, what's the first thing that they did? They covered themselves with fig leaves in shame. Not just to themselves, but also to God. And what happens is this, you realize on a deeper sense, the only parts of your past that can control you and destroy you are the parts that you do not share. Your past will leave you scars, but the only open wounds are the ones that you do not share with the physicians around you. And one of the main issues of shame is it's stuck in an endless loop that digs you deeper and deeper and deeper. The woman has tried everything to get out of this situation. It's not just a physical ailment, it's a spiritual thing going on, it's a spiritual disease. And yet, with all of her efforts, it gets worse and worse and worse. It's been 12 years, she's bankrupted. She has no family, no friends. Shame is a loop if you do not manage, just keeps looping around you over and over and over again. Another quote from Kurt Thompson. Shame tends to be self-reinforcing. When we experience shame, we tend to turn away from others because the prospect of being seen or known by another carries the anticipation of shame being intensified or reactivated. However, the very act of turning away while temporarily protecting and relieving us from our feeling ironically simultaneously reinforces the very shame we're attempting to avoid. We feel shame, then shame, then we feel shame for feeling shame. It begets itself over and over and over. Uh, you know, there's, uh, there's like, I-, I love weird shows, if you know me, uh, and there's these hoarding shows, if you guys know what I'm talking about, like like compulsive, destructive hoarders, and it's like, disgusting, and I cannot stop watching it, right? Because like, there's always a scene in this, I forgot what channel it is, it's like, you know, Lifetime or something, but they, they open the door, and it instead of a house, it, it's literally a landfill, and you're always like, how could it come to this, right? But when I look at my car, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm on that edge too. I could easily be a hoarder, right? Because of the thing, when you hoard, what, what, what happened? All of us hoard in, in something, maybe not physical, but spiritually. What, how does it get so compulsive where it's destructing your life, or destroying your life? It's because you keep piling stuff over and over again, but when you see it, you don't wanna look at it. And always hoarders will say this on the show. It's like, oh, I never expected to see this, and I can never look at my stuff, okay? I, I have nowhere to live. Because for these hoarders, they just never look at the problem. Because they never look at the problem, it gets worse and worse and worse. This is what shame does. It grows like mold in the darkness. Your pain and your sin, it exponentially grows. Your past no longer becomes a story you are proud of, but your past becomes shackles to your future. So if that's the case, what do we do with shame? How do we get out of the destructive loop? How do we heal from the shame that all of us carry? this is the thing. I know for every single individual here, believe it or not, there is some part of you, even to your spouse, to your parents, to your friends, there is something inside of you you are willing not to share. And even, the, even me bringing this up, and you guys all will probably feel this. There is a physical reaction. You might start sweating. You might start, like, not thinking straight because it has that strong of hold. How do you get out of that destructive loop? How do you allow to share what is unshareable? Well, look to Jesus' full healing of this woman. One thing he does is he does this. Like if you read the, the passage again, she touches him and she's healed. Hallelujah. And she's trying to get out of there ASAP, right? It's like if, if someone's preaching right now, like no one's leaving, but if someone's leaving, would be perfect. It's like, oh, you know what? That part was really good, I'm gonna bounce. And you know what Jesus does? He stops, and he, there's a huge crowd around him. He stops, and he says, who touched my garments? And his disciples are like, yo, Jesus, everyone did. What are you talking about, right? But Jesus, he stops, and there's this awkward silence. Like, you have to realize how awkward. This is like me stopping the sermon and be like, yo, there is someone here that is watching porn, and I'm not going to stop until you stand up. Like, you, like, that's pretty awkward, right? That's what Jesus is doing. Why would he do that? That's such a shameful event when you think about it. Like, why would you shame her to heal her shame? What Jesus realizes is that the only way to heal our shame, the, the, the remedy to get out of this loop is vulnerability. It's only when we are vulnerable and naked we are fully known. It's only when we're fully known we can be fully loved. And it's only when we're fully loved that we can destroy shame. And it only starts, we all want to be loved. We all want to be accepted none of us want to be known and none of us definitely want to be vulnerable it starts from there let's go back to even Genesis we are made for connection and not just superficial masked-up Instagram filtered connection I'm talking about full and I mean this in a physical and spiritual there's a full naked connection that God designed us to have we're designed for relationship Genesis 1:18. it is not good for man to be alone We are created for and by broken, but still human relationships. To be a human being is not to be accumulating achievements. It's not to have money. It's not to have a 10-year career plan. To be a full human being is to live in connection with those around you and your creator. That is what it means to be human. And you, you know this. The deepest joys of your life are always communal joys. Me and my wife, when we were in college, we were dead broke. And I remember someone uh, gave us like a gift card to a really nice steakhouse, right? And I had to like, like you know, as, a, as I was a senior in college, like I didn't even have a button-up shirt, so I had to buy that, I was really excited. And I, you know, I knew like, I'm probably not gonna come here again for like five, 10 years. I remember we're eating together, and I remember one moment, like as we were eating, there was this one dude like, like blinged out. Like Rolex, like he had like three buttons down, it's like, oh, that's like too many buttons, but that means you're rich, right? Because you don't care. Gold necklace, slick back hair, you could tell he drove a nice car, and yet there was only one plate, one setting, for that table, it was just him. And you know what, I'm sure he's in there, he's probably eating there right now, right, he, multiple times, he has the money to afford it. And yet at that moment, I looked at him and I was like, sucks to be you, bro, and it's not, it's not because I was better, it's not because I was a better person, but it's because I can enjoy a delicious, joyful meal Maybe just once, but with someone that I deeply knew, cared for, and loved with. You know this. Everything you do that brings out joy, you always need to share. Like, men do this all, if if we're watching sports events by ourselves and something crazy happens, you know the first thing that we do, men or women, we text our bros like, OMG, exclamation mark, 10 times. Did you see that, right? Did you see that? Let's post it. We post on Instagram to share. Why do we do this? Because we know deep down inside, to be human is to be connected but shame whether you know it or not whether you like it or not destroys that connection genesis 2:25 is an interesting verse as we kind of go through the creation narrative before the fall the writer notes this about adam and eve and the man and his wife were both naked and were both not ashamed why does the author mention that i think the author is hinting at the remedy of the fall that was about to come To fight shame requires nakedness. What that means is the vulnerability of nakedness is the antithesis of shame. This is why Jesus does not let her go in hiding on her own because he knows although you may be healed from the physical disease, the thing you really need to be healed from is a spiritual ailment called shame. You need to be shown in the community that you are healed to receive full healing. It's the only time in the Gospels that Jesus refers to someone as daughter. It's an intimate word. What Jesus is saying is in order for us to flourish, our movement towards another and connection with one another is what brings us life and freedom out of the destructive loops of shame. We need to be known. We need to be vulnerable, to be fully known, to be fully loved, to destroy shame. But the problem is, shame is right. Because what shame tells you is, man, I know I need that, but if they find out I'm like this, if they find out that I've done this, if they found out that I'm like this, there's a chance they will abandon me as human beings. And you know what? Absolutely true. And we'll get into that in a little bit, but there are people that you, you, know, you need to share to be healed, but oftentimes as you share, you might be shamed even more, even behind your back. So who do you share to you first? There's a danger to the vulnerability of shame that reminds us, yeah, you can get hurt, but note this. when Mark notes this passage in this story. When the woman touches Jesus, one thing he notes is always kind of weird, that was always really weird to me, was that Jesus felt the power leaving his body. And, and this is like, why, why is that, right? Verse 30, and Jesus perceiving himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned to the crowd and said, who touched me? Why does Mark note that there's a power leaving Jesus? Does that mean he's like a broken savior? Like, oh, like, dude, he's not God, he's like, kind of god but not really no that's not the point what mark is trying to show is yes we are surrounded by imperfect people that can't hurt you if you share your shame but remember this we worship a savior and god that is vulnerable as well we worship a savior who does not come in armor and armies and servants but a broken human body the reason why jesus felt power leave is because it's foretelling of what will happen on the cross Imagine, I'm not even, let's, let's forget the spiritual reality, That's it's important, but imagine the physical scene of Jesus on the cross, naked, spit on, cursed at, speared. You're the king of Jews, save yourself. Imagine how shameful that is. Jesus at the cross knows exactly what it's like to be us, to feel the full extent of our fear of shame, to be hurt and to be completely abandoned. We worship a vulnerable, naked Savior who went to the cross not only for our sins, although that is important, but also for us to throw our shame onto there as well. You know what the biggest thing that stops all of us from conquering our sin? It's not holiness. It's shame. Yes, you may be abandoned or hurt, but the price of shame is even heavier than receiving the opportunity to be known and loved by Jesus on the cross. You have to share your shame. And yes, we'll get to people in a little bit, but ultimately, understand this. That feeling you feel right now. If I tell you, if I sat you down in a coffee shop, I'm like, I'm a pastor, right? I know there's something that you don't want to share. Share it with me. That feeling you feel of like, if I tell you, it will end my life. If I tell you, my marriage will be ruined. If I tell you, my kids will leave me. If I tell you, I might lose my job. That feeling you feel, Jesus has felt to the fullest and complete abandonment as well. That is who we worship. That is the antithesis of our shame. You want to be fully loved? Understand this. Jesus gave up everything so that you can be fully loved and fully known. When you look to the cross, you realize shame is cast up there as well. So that's true. If we worship a vulnerable Savior, what are the practical ways we have to fight our shame as a church, to deal with our past together? There are three simple things. These are not going to rock, you know, these are not TED Talk ideas. These are very simple things you probably already know but are so hard to do. But first is this. If this is all true, that we have the shame that constricts us, hides us, isolates us, does not allow us to deal with our past, the first thing you have to do is this. You have to own your shame. You have to name your shame. Um, Jesus makes it a point to the woman to name in full truth. Mark says, when Jesus says, hey, who touched me? And Jesus out of fear, I mean, the woman out of fear and shame comes to him and says, the woman knowing what had happened to him came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. The whole truth. Shame did not stop her at that moment. She shared everything. She shared everything. She was like, you know what, Jesus, I'm bleeding for 12 years. There's times where I snuck out. There's times where I just wanted to be with people. There are times where people just rejected me and spat me. She shared everything to him. Why did Jesus make her do that? We must seek out our shame to be aware of its presence. When we don't allow ourselves to share what shame hides, it always grows. It always grows. And the simplest thing to do is just to name it and get rid of it, but it's the hardest thing to do. We're often so ashamed to ourselves to even admit both trauma and scandalous sins, that it stops us from doing that. Kurt Thompson puts it this way, simply naming moments of shame shifts our attention, taking us out of its vortex, allowing us to observe it more dispassionately and preventing us from unwittingly and automatically allowing shame to reinforce itself. Even as Pastor Chuck, when he named what has happened, and you know what, I've talked to Chuck about this a million times. And he's like, man, it's, it, it feels insignificant to name. No, you, you, I, I was so empowered by Chuck sharing that. Because whatever you don't name, whatever you don't own, it will own you. And when I say that, what I mean by like this, it's not just, you know, in your mind, I'm going to do this mind exercise and I got it. I, I don't mean that. I mean to literally articulate what is going on. To write it down, articulation in actual tangible words. To speak it, maybe even to yourself. Maybe to pray it tangibly, but to do that. Because if not, it will grow like mold in the darkness. Articulation of your shame allows a gap from what shame is in yourself for the gospel truth to come in and reside in you. You need to do that. You cannot think your way into this. You have to name it. You have to own it. What are you shameful of? I'm not just saying, oh, yeah, it's that thing in the past that's kind of shaky. Write it down. Talk about it. And secondly, this is connected. As you own your shame, you have to share your shame. As you own your shame, you have to share your shame. Jesus makes it a point, not for only the woman to, you know, own up to it in private, but in public, to verbally share it with him. Why is that? We are made to be in relationship with those around us. And the thing shame stops us from doing is a cure that we most most need. When you share with people, things change. Like, look, this is the thing, quick caveat. You have to find trusted people. There are people where you share your shame with, and you know what? They're going to use that, their own shame against you. They'll gossip about you. They'll look down on you. And you know what? Trial and error. If, they, if you find someone unsafe that you're sharing with, don't ever share with them again. But you have to find trusted people to constantly share what you're most ashamed of. Because this is the thing. You know, going back to Stranger Things, a masterpiece of, of art and film. What Vecna was doing was ingenious. Because he's trying to tell these people a different story. But what Max needed, what all of us need, are friends like Max to tell you a better story. To widen your imagination. Because, look, shame has a grip on your imagination. Because it tells you, this happened, you're not worthy of anything. Good friends. You know, and this is how you know, if you have a friend where you're like, dude, this happened. It's like, all, all they say is like, dude, That sucks. All right, peace. Don't share with them ever again, okay? Like, you need people when you share where they're like, hey, that sucks, but I know you. And, yeah, sometimes you're annoying, right? Sometimes you're like this, but I'm here. And why am I here? Because you are better than that. You need people to expand your imagination, to tell you a better story, to tell you God's story in your life, because you cannot do it on your own. And this is the thing, to get even a little bit scientific, I didn't know this, I'm not a big you know, science guy, I went to UC Riverside, but neurologically, right, your brain, when you physically, tangibly, audibly tell your shame, something, something you could not share before to someone physically in front of you, and when you see them like lean in, like, be like, oh my gosh, have an empathetic gesture or face or emotion, your brain literally changes, it starts rewiring itself, it starts repairing what shame has done. Your brain finally feels connected, and it's a cycle of trust you build. What people allow you when you share with them is to not live in the "I might be okay" to "I am okay," because these people aren't going to leave me, even though this has happened. Find people, and let's be honest: a lot of our friends, and I, I, me too. Like especially men, men. If you're here, like dudes, we're so bad at this because we have no emotional intelligence vocabulary. Like, and, we, and men always need something like alcohol or like a cigar to do this, right? Because we're so emotionally stupid. But so many of our friendships, they're so superficial. You don't share anything but your achievements and your Instagram filtered life. That's no point of having a friend. A true friend is someone that will share your shame and listen and accept you and say, I'm going to tell you a better story. Build out trust. And as you share it with people, share it with God in tangible, audible prayer. In the closet, by yourself, but not in your mind. Literally, you have to use your mouth to say what's going on, to share it with him, with the one who will always hear who you are. Own your shame, share your shame, and lastly, if we wanna fight our shame, the last thing is this, we have to listen to our shame. Listen to others' shame. When we hear those sharing with their shame and courage, And you know, as Chuck just shared, you know what happens as you listen to, as you become not just someone who shares, but a better friend to listen, it resonates with your own shame. It gives you courage to finally share what you're trying to hide. And that only happens by listening as well. And this is really quickly, quick kind of side point. I'm not saying an acceptance of any sin or bad behavior. Like I'm not, this is not green light to be like, dude, like, I just, I just like, frauded the irs and be like oh you know what i'm your friend as long as you pay me i got your that's not what i'm saying a good friend even in a shameful event even if it's a guilt guilty shameful event what they'll say is that's wrong like dude stop being in sexual sin hey stop stealing money from your company but as i say that one thing you have to do is but as i say that to you i will not leave you that's how you break those cycles of guilty shame. And look, we, we, we worship a God who not only speaks, but we worship a God as a church who listens. Right after the fall, as Adam and Eve encounter and, and create this virus of shame that has been passed down, how does God respond? He comes into the garden, and he does not come with statements or accusations. He comes with questions. Who did this to you? Why are you covering yourselves up? And look to Jesus as well in the the Gospels. Jesus is someone marked not with deep accusations, but someone with deep curiosity to those deemed unclean around him and ashamed. We worship a God who yearns to listen as much as to speak to us. Shall we not do the same with our friends? Listen well. Practice asking questions, not to find the right answers, but to get more connected with those around you. To break shame, we have to be vulnerable to be fully known, and it's only when we're fully known that we can be fully loved by God and those around us. Fight to be vulnerable, fight to be known, fight to be loved by imperfect people as we look to the cross, as we were reminded that we have a vulnerable savior who destroys our shame and gives us endless and boundless love and tells you and us, we are known, I am vulnerable, and I will never leave you, no matter how much you feel like you should be left. Let's pray. Lord, I know for a lot of us, is uh, we have our share of stories. Uh, we have our share of trauma, of pain, of abuse, of guilt, of things that we have done. Maybe that we have abused people. Maybe that we have caused tremendous pain among those around us. And either way, whether it's something that has been done to us, or something that we have done, we are so scared to share that. Because getting that leak of that knowledge of that truth might be the end of us. But Lord, as we just read in Mark and just as we look to the cross, allow us to be healed of not just our sinful disease, but the disease of shame. So that we can go around connecting ourselves to those around us. To be a human being as you designed us to be and to finally be connected back to you. Allow us to look to the cross. Allow us to be reminded that we worship a vulnerable Savior who gave up everything for our sake, who gave up his body to cleanse us of our sin and also our shame. Allow us then to deal with our past and to create a new story alongside yours. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.